Howdy, everyone. Happy New Year. Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Daily Cliff Heavy. Today is, what is it, January 6, 2020. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as always, by the Bad Mamma Jamma, who's now from a remote location. I'm, from, I'm still from a remote location. That music was awful. <laughs> oh, you have no idea. So I made, <laughs> Gary, you missed some of the comments in chat. I, so we switched some tech which is going to allow us to do some other stuff, and I just wanted to play with it. And um, uh, I made this, like, loop, <laughs> this really obnoxious loop. Uh, I, I think it goes on for, like, an hour, if I wanted to, um, of this uh, Portal theme song, or Portal background music. Uh, so people did not appreciate it. Um, slash, slash, they were kind of addicted, I think, just not wanting to admit it. Maybe Andrew was. Uh, it's not that exciting new tech. We're just trying to switch away from Zoom um, because uh, Zoom's expensive and kind of sucks. And Zoom doesn't let us, whenever we play any kind of music or do anything that has um, non-voice, then um, then Zoom garbles it because of the codex. Also, it doesn't always switch the cameras properly. So I can switch cameras manually with this. Woo oh, I think the camera's staying on me. While you're talking. Oh, yeah, because I forgot to switch it to myself. So there's some problems I got to work out. But that's what we're doing. Do you have to manually switch it each time? I do. We need a producer, but that's okay. I just have that to get used to it. sucks. Okay. It, it's better than Zoom <laughs> because uh, Zoom doesn't switch always properly anyway. So And the Zoom's video quality is worse. I think, I think this video quality is better. Tell everyone, how does Carrie look? Well, I just got out of the shower, so, and also, but see, when you're talking is when I usually do things that shouldn't be on camera, like, like put my hair up or whatever, and now... <laughs> now you have no idea. No, I'm going to try and, I, my, my goal is to just, it's pretty easy, I have a, a super easy setup, my goal is to just toggle back and forth between uh, whoever's talking, I just have to get used to it, like now I just forgot to do it, that's fine. I'll do it, it's good. So, all right, eventually we'll have a producer and they'll sit there and toggle buttons and it'll be great. Yeah. Um, I'll try the burrito eating to a minimum. Yeah, um, keep, keep your burrito eating to a minimum, Yeah, young lady. So, hi, guys. Who said, please don't be an hour late? <laughs> an hour late? That's never happened. You're never an hour late. That's never happened to, on the podcast. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Also, you said yes, you're I'm echoey, Carrie, but that's because you're not using your okay. normal mic, right? So I'm not at home, I'm, and I didn't bring any equipment with me because I, I, I anticipated being back at home today, and I'm not. So I'm using a friend's laptop. So I will be echoey today, but I have a new, I have a microphone at home, and Carter sent me a new camera. We'll try that out later. We'll see if it's any good. Yeah. So. So I apologize for the sound. Um, it's all your fault. The music could loop for an hour. I don't think anyone else wants that nip fragility. So, happy New Year, guys. Yeah. Happy New happy Year, New Carter. Year. Carter what? basically went off grid. I went. I went totally off grid. I. I don't like. I didn't. I didn't check my phone. I have so many. I just. I went off grid. It was great. I totally needed it. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I didn't go off grid, but I definitely cut back on social media a little, and um, I did. I had a great New Year's Day. Like I did, I did a. Uh, uh, well, I had never done a sunrise hike before on New Year's Day, 
And this guy I'm seeing was like, oh, it's a Korean tradition to do that, or it's good luck to see the sunrise on the first day of the new year. So we went on a hike, which was very cool. And, um, and then the rest of the day, you know that, you know that idea, I've heard this for years, I, I, that the idea that on New Year's Day, you're supposed to spend the day doing things that you want to do the rest of the year. And you don't want to spend the day doing things that you don't want to do a lot of the rest of the year. And I've, I've always kind of, I've heard that since I was a kid, but I've never really observed it religiously or anything. I just kind of would, you know, I don't want to do too many dishes on New Year's Day or whatever. <laughs> like anything that I didn't enjoy, it's like tried to limit it, right? But this was the first day where I made a list and it was super uh, fun. I would tell you guys, I would totally encourage this. It was fun. I made a list of things and I'm like, okay, I want to spend some time writing and some time reading. Meeting, and uh, he wanted to spend some time playing piano and uh, we both wanted to play a game of chess and I wanted to learn something new and the, and the, it was fun just like hitting seeing what things I accomplished I took a nap <laughs> you know like all these great things and then I didn't get to a couple of them but I did enough of them it was kind of fun did you During um did you guys do you like uh write down like these are my goals for the year and like this is what i like this is what i want to accomplish do, like, do you do any goal setting or that kind of stuff um last year was the first year i ever wrote new year's resolutions so i actually intend to look at those and see how close i came i haven't looked at them yet um this year i didn't necessarily write resolutions but i did write some big picture goals of things that excuse me things that i want to do because i think it's good I think it's good, like, you know, read more books. Um, there are some things I want to do with the money making, like, like my source of income that I want to change this year. So I kind of wrote some of those things down. Yeah, what about you? Yeah, we do, uh, we every year we do like, I guess I'm geeky, we do like this, uh, we have, we have, specific measurable attainable like timely we do the smart goal thing we have like goals for the year and we talk about them with each other uh, including my daughter so like the whole family does it um and then we but at the end we kind of evaluate like how we did the last year um and sometimes it's usually like the goals are fine it's usually that um what i've found is that the putting the structure in place is often where it fails like execution is usually where things have failed so it's like, okay, I intended to do this, but I didn't. So we kind of work on like, what can we do structure wise to change? Like last year we were supposed to have a monthly family meeting to check in with our goals. And like, that didn't work very well. Like we did it for a couple months and then forgot. Um, and so this year we're like pre-scheduling it every month, like through the rest of the year is already scheduled. So like, we're not going to forget. So that will happen. And like, so we're trying to like fix That's systemic smart. problems and stuff. Um, but yeah. That's yeah, have the have the last year was also the first year I tried to I didn't do it I didn't keep up with it uh, religiously, but I tried to keep up with it like you're saying like check in and see how how close my end to that goal like throughout the year instead of just waiting to the end. And saying, yeah, didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So uh, people are talking about the echo. I, I'm sorry, I don't think I can do anything about it. It's it's this friend's laptop. So. Uh, it, there's music in the house. If, if that's bothering people, I can go tr turn that on. Yeah, I can. I can try to just actually, Carrie. I'm going to mute myself while you talk for a second. Okay. See if that works. Well, you guys were practicing new tech. What did you guys do for the new year in the chat? Somebody said they spent the 
the New Year's face skiing. What is that? What is face skiing? Did her did her echo go away? Tell us if her echo went away momentarily when when she was talking just now about asking what face skiing is. Um, I don't a know. What boomer face skiing tech is either. moment. Here. Someone um, says something having a boomer tech moment. What? Look, any tech, I, we are Gen X, okay? <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, nothing, somebody was making fun of the tech problems. Absolutely nothing. They don't hear any background music. I don't know, I don't know. Um, I, people are saying, I did nothing on New Year's, it's just another day. Well, I definitely recommend... The hike, even if you don't have to do it on New Year's Day, go for a sunrise hike. It was fun. Yeah. All right. Well, um, can we talk about? I think we should talk about race. what we want to do. We're going to change some things this year. We don't know everything, but we know some things. We should tell people what's going to happen, and then okay. we can talk about some stuff that happened over the break. Okay. Um, one is uh, we're going to do so. We have been doing deprogrammed live every Thursday. We're going to switch that and we're just going to do deprograms no longer going to be every Thursday live. It is going to be basically whenever we think that there's something specifically relevant to the topic of deprogramming, which is, you know, deprogrammed is, is, is Carrie's journey into detangling the social justice ideology and the whole cult that she was in. So we we felt like on Thursdays, we were kind of st- sometimes stretching for topics like, oh, it's Thursday, we have to talk about that topic now on Deprogrammed and like, what are we gonna do? Um, so we'd rather just have it be organically. So that will happen just kind of organically whenever we come up with something, but we are going to do, we're gonna continue to do live streams. We'll do daily Kofefi every day. And on Mondays and Fridays, we'll do live Kofefis. So, um, that will still happen. Tuesdays through Thursday will be pre-recorded, but Monday and Friday will be live. That hopefully will free us up to do one of the things that was bothering me about this show was um, I want more time to like go in depth on some things and study some stuff and come come at you guys with some um, deeper content. And I just both Carrie and I felt like we were on a treadmill, like treading water constantly, um, keeping up with stuff and trying to come up with topics for deprogrammed. Um, and and frankly, live Kofefi is easier to do. So hopefully with the yeah. new setup, once I get used to pressing buttons and or we get a producer who may be 10 years old uh, coming up soon. <laughs> but uh, then we will, uh, I think I think should be, things should be easier. Anything else? What did I miss, Carrie? Is that basically it? Um, also, we picked a date for a new book club. So thank you everyone in the, we have a Facebook group, Unsafe Space Book Club. And everyone who voted, we had a poll for what book to read, and there was a tie. Uh, so Carter and I broke the tie. We picked Fahrenheit uh, 451. Well, I think that makes it for like a good, uh, you know, trilogy kind of. We already did Brave New World in 1984, and I think Fahrenheit 451 kind of rounds that out. So, um, and we wanted to do fiction this time since we had done uh, nonfiction last time. We did a. Uh, what did we do? The cobbling of the American mind last. So anyway, so we picked a date, February 2nd, which is a Sunday at five o'clock Pacific, seven o'clock central, eight o'clock Eastern. And sorry, Nicole, I don't know what mountain people time is, but uh, anyway, we'll be doing it live. And uh, if you, you have a month, pretty much a month to read the book. And we uh, posted on our, uh, 
you can go actually go to our website unsafespace.com. We have a book club page, and you can click on the link. And if you click on our Amazon affiliate link, I think we get a penny or two. So if you buy it from our link. Yep. And Carrie, I don't know if you remember there was that uh, there was a Venn diagram that was going around that said like. 1984, Brave New yeah. World, Fahrenheit 451, and it had the intersection. It said, you are here. That really yeah. made me want to pick Fahrenheit 451 as our next book. So, um, Madness of Crowds. Nicole in chat is asking for Madness of Crowds. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that's likely going to be the next book. I don't want to promise, but Carrie and I both want to do that one a lot. And we should, re- I mean, it's current. We should read it now. It, everyone's referencing it. You know, we. I've kind of started it a little bit already. So, maybe. Yeah, and, and maybe we can get Douglas Murray on if we we should read it first before we ask him on. But cool. All right, so let's do um let's talk about some stuff, Carrie. Uh, so I, I like was mostly talk. unplugged. I know a few high level things that happened, but not a lot. What do you want to talk about? I'll let you go first. Well, you want to talk Carter about? and I were testing my tech before, and I uh, to- I told him about Ricky Gervais because some people had tagged me in some stuff, and we watched a little clip. So we want to play a clip for you guys because we were dying laughing. And it- so Ricky Gervais, I'll just set this up for anybody who doesn't remember. He hosted the Golden Globes last uh, a few years ago and roasted all of them. And I remember, and I hate award shows. I think they're so self-congratulatory. And like, what other industry do we watch people get up on stage and accept awards for stuff? You know, it's like, we don't do that for doctors. Why are we doing that for, uh, oh, I can hear that. Um, that's okay. But, but it's just funny. Cause it's like actors, actors, it's so like they, it's you watch them and it's like they actually feel it's almost as if they believe that we should all care that they're winning awards. And I, I know, I know some people who are really into award shows. I, that's your bag. I, you know, I don't mean to bash on it too much. It's just not my thing. But anyway, I do know that he, um, he presented a few years ago and he totally roasted them and they weren't used to it. And I saw clips of it a few years ago, and it was really funny because you'd see their reaction. They're not used to being bagged on at their own award shows. And so somebody booked him, and he did last night. He roasted them again, but given that, I don't know if people have watched his evolution on Twitter, but he's one of the few comedians who still has some balls, and it pushes back against my old ideology. He pushes back against SJW ideology, and he he makes fun of Jessica Yannick, Jonathan Yannick, you know, which most comics won't do. And um, he's, I think he's pretty tuned in to what my old belief system is and doesn't really seem to care what they think about it, what they think about him opposing it. And so, so he uh, last night roasted them and he roasted them in a way that was really uh, anti-woke. And so we thought we would share some highlights. I think it was on Ben Shapiro's, Ben Shapiro put a compilation together of just like some really quick hits from it. They were pretty funny. I don't know how Ben Shapiro got away with it because, um, I'm, by the way, while you were talking in chat was lighting up saying, uh, don't play the clips. They're getting copyright strikes. Sargon got dinged. People are taking stuff down. Like, don't play the Ricky Gervais clip. They're going after it aggressively, um, uh-huh. which doesn't surprise me. Well, then let me read something to you. Yeah. So wait, I'm going to, we'll cheat a little bit. Look, this is the clip we were going to show. <laughs> And I will put the Facebook link here. I'll, I'll copy the link. We'll put the Facebook link in chat. And uh, 
you, if you have Facebook, you can go there. So. Okay, so at one point he's he's basically at the beginning talking about he doesn't care anymore and he's never going to host another award show after this, and he makes some jokes about how, um, oh gosh, who's the who's the comic who got kicked off the Oscars? Kevin Hart. So like Kevin Hart got kicked off the Oscars for some very old post, right? I don't know how I got booked doing tweets. It's, I guess it's because the Hollywood Foreign Press doesn't speak very good English. But he's like, so he he then goes into. Um, uh, he makes fun of, he, he talks about the season two of this show that I haven't seen called Afterlife. And he's like, spoiler alert, he doesn't die at the end of first season. He doesn't die, unlike Jeffrey Epstein. He doesn't kill and, himself. He, or he doesn't kill himself. himself. He doesn't kill himself, unlike Jeffrey Epstein. And the audience, the celebrity audience kind of groans. Can you believe it? They groan. And then he says, oh, I know he's your friend. I know he's your friend, but I don't care. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. That was so good. And then he goes, some of you had to fly your own planes to get here, huh? <laughs> like, is there... <laughs> but then, okay, so this is the quote I want to read. I love this. Uh, thank you, Tina, for tagging me in this. Uh, he says, if you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a platform to make a political speech. But wait, let me preface this. He says this after talking about Apple came out with a new show, okay? And then all the celebrities applaud. I don't know what that show is, but they all applaud. And he's like, it's a show about doing the right thing and making a difference in the world made by a company who has sweatshops in China. And there's like kind of like crickets. And he's like, you all, and he talks to the celebrities. He's like, you all think you're so woke, but none of the companies you work for, Disney, Apple, whatever, Amazon, he's like, they're doing awful things, right? And he's like, if, if, if ISIS came out with a series, you all would be calling your agent. And so then that, that's where he builds up to this. He says, if you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a platform to make a political speech. You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So if you win, come up, accept your little award, thank your agent and your God, and fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> like, sorry, I love it. I love it. No, I just, was, I've been waiting for someone to say this to them, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, Gervais has, oh, I'm I was kind of surprised that he was invited because his Twitter feed is decidedly non-woke. It's, um, it's so anti-woke. Yeah, and he, he's not like a conservative, he's a liberal, but he's more like yeah. a classical liberal, I think. He's like us, or he's like me. He's like, he's just, he's a liberal, but he's anti-SJW. I mean, he's not as overtly, like, he doesn't call it that and everything, but he doesn't. He has shown, he's demonstrated through his behavior and his words that he um, is not going to bow to this ideology. So I thought it was a glimmer of like progress that they booked him and that he got to say all this in their faces. He made another joke. Oh my gosh, it was so good. Because they're all so concerned now about diversity, diversity, diversity. And of course, they don't mean diversity of viewpoints or you know, diversity of perspectives. They mean quotas racial and, and sex quotas right and and um and not just that even but they mean over representation is what they actually mean and he made a joke about how we were going to do an uh one of those compilations they put together and when when somebody when all the people who died that year right he's like we were going to do one of those but then we looked at all the people who died this year and it wasn't diverse enough so we'll have to wait and see who dies next year <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah 
Good for him. Oh, oh wait, I, I do have one thing to say about that. I, I do want to have a, a, a conversation with you about this real quick. So when I was a le leftist, and I used to hear people on the right criticize celebrities for speaking their mind. Yep. And I, you know, and I would hear them say stuff like, you know, just shut up and say, like the Dixie Chicks. They criticized the Dixie Chicks for expressing their opinion about Bush. And they were like, just shut up and sing, you know. And I actually, at the time, well, because I agreed with the Dixie Chicks, that's one reason. But also, I thought it was pretty, you know, I don't think they should have to just shut up and sing. I think that's wrong. They, they're humans. They're, they're like any of us. They have a right to an opinion, and they have the right to express it. And they have the right to express it in whatever platform they've managed to build for themselves and to cobble together. I absolutely believe that. So it bothers me when people tell, say, like, you know, just shut up and act or shut up and sing or whatever, as if as if you don't have a right to speak your mind if you're an artist. I think that's dumb. But on the other hand, I think when you speak your mind, you should be prepared for the people who you're speaking to to speak back. <laughs> and if they're telling you they don't like your opinions, grow a thicker skin. If you're going to put your opinions out there and you're going to use an award show to broadcast your somewhat naive beliefs um, and somewhat arrogant beliefs, uh, and, and, and somewhat entitled, uh, and disconnected from reality. Like there's so many things I could use to describe these celebrities, but if you use the, if you use your platform, you should be ready for the public and for people like Gervais to speak on behalf of the public and say, we don't care. So, yeah. I mean, I think when you're at like an award show, um, it's obviously they have the right to speak their opinion, but it's, per it's perfectly reasonable for, the award show like if you were if i was running an award show even though i i'm obviously an ad, advocate of free speech and an ardent supporter of free speech if i were running a award an award show and i knew that i was going to have a lot of uh people get up and say uh controversial things that weren't really related to the type of awards like these are awards for reading lines nicely and you know this is this is for these are for acting and that kind of stuff. It's not for, uh, this is, these aren't political awards. If I knew that they were going to create controversy for my event generally, I might say, yeah, if you get an award, there are rules about what you can and can't say when you're on stage. If you don't want to get your award for that, then fine. But like, it's my stage and it's my awards event and I don't want to make it about your politics just because there's a lot of people watching. So um, I don't think there's anything wrong with with setting rules for that. And frankly, if they don't set those rules and if the people running the event want to be pushing the the crappy leftist, the, you know, Hollywood ideology and they want them having woke statements when they accept awards, uh, then it's up to the rest of us to just not pay attention to them and reward yeah. them by not watching their stuff, not watching the awards so, program, not paying attention to what they're doing. Like they, you know, they have a right to speak their mind and you have a right to punish them for it. Right. Punish, punish, oh, well, you know, not physically, but not physically. Okay. So I have a distinction to make there. I agree with you. Um, and I, I have a distinction to make because Maria in chat, Maria Tuscan just said the SJWs would say the same thing about those who disagree with them. That being canceled is just a consequence of having bad ideas, opinions. So I, Here's the thing. I agree with SJWs that if they don't like, they're just doing the same thing. If they don't like something you say, they're they're the audience. They're responding, right? 
But there's a difference between, they take it too far a lot of times. And I don't see the people on the right do this as often. They used to, the moral majority used to do this. But on the left, there's become, it's it's not just, we're not going to buy your yarn, for example, or we're not, you know, I don't like what you said, so I'm not going to follow you or whatever. On the left, there's become this really um, vitriolic bullying. It, it's not just, I am not going to consume your product. It is, I'm going to contact everyone that's ever worked with you. I am going to, it's, it's, it's this real, like, I'm going to make you suffer. Like, I'm coming after you. That's different in my opinion. Like, I don't, I don't like, uh, um, uh, let me, I'm trying to think of some celebrity who said something dumb recently. Give me, well, Michael Moore. That's the other thing I was going to, Michael Moore said something dumb today. I used to love Michael Moore. Michael Moore said something really stupid. I'm not going to, I don't, I think, I think me saying that's dumb and I'm not going to buy his movies anymore or whatever, probably, because I, I don't think I'll get a lot of value out of them. It's very different than me forming a lynch mob to go after him and try to like hurt him in some way. I don't know. I just, it's very different. Plus it's plus when they do that, the SJWs who really make their life all about destroying you and canceling you. It's like, they don't have anything better to do. That really gives them a sense of purpose being in that mob, like picking up a pitchfork really makes them feel good. It's that's gross. It's something gross about that. But. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I think that, uh, there's really two things going on here. One is that they're going what you're calling like too far almost. They're like taking this idea of, um, hey, if you're going to use our platform, you can't say things that are controversial, or whatever. Like there's some legitimacy to that. Um, I don't think that legitimacy is, I don't think it's the same, by the way, as on Twitter, which purports to be a free speech platform, in, in, in which case they shouldn't be able to say that. But an awards show well, that's not purporting to be uh, an open platform could totally take a stance on something. So yeah, yeah. one of the reasons I'm against the social justice stuff is that they overreach. But the other reason is frankly, that it is a disagreement of their ideas. Like I might, if I had my own, sh like let's say unsafe space for some reason had some award show someday. Right. Um, you know, I might not want social justice warriors speaking. I might be like, I don't, I don't want you speaking at the award show. Um, if even regardless of what was going on now in context that may or may not be appropriate but the problem isn't that they're censoring people from their own platforms and saying like hey i don't want i don't want you to be using my platform to produce to to spew ideas i don't like part of the problem is that they're going too far with that kind of stuff and and like you said you know they're trying to shut down people everywhere and put on like crazy pressure on people who don't really have that opinion to to not let their platforms be used. But the other thing is their ideas are just really bad. So like they're shutting down ideas that are legitimate. Like when we say, when you say something like um, men and women are different biologically, that's not like, yes, it's bad to censor people, but it's especially bad to censor people for saying things that are completely true and reasonable. That's like another level of craziness that makes me uh, have a problem with a lot of the social justice activism it's not just that they it is that they go too far with some of their censorship but it's also that in the sense of like trying to destroy people's careers but they also are hypersensitive it's 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 literally anything that's a reasonable thing to say like a legitimate point to be made a legitimate discussion gets shut down and you can tell that the intent of the social justice crowd 
is to completely shut down discussion because they don't want to have to address any disagreement, which is different than the intent of saying like, hey, you know, we disagree on this particular thing, but I don't want to use, I don't want you to use my platform at this event to spew this particular stuff that I disagree with. So, yeah. all right. Yeah, it's more than just, I disagree with what you're saying, therefore I won't buy your product. It's, I disagree with what you're saying and I don't want you to be able to say it. <laughs> And I'm going to right. do whatever I can to try and affect your ability to say it. Right. right. It's that it's that you shouldn't be allowed to say it to anyone on anyone's platform yeah. in anywhere ever. Right. Yeah. And, and it's they, my job to police that. Because they are, because SJWs are authoritarians at heart. The ideology is authoritarian. It's like our way or the highway. Believe what we believe or we want to try and restrict you as much as possible. Whereas I'm like, look, these celebrities who stand up and lecture us, I think it's moronic and I think it's arrogant. And a lot of times they don't know what they're talking about. So it's embarrassing for them and they don't seem to realize that. But I'm not like, let me go after them and try and prevent them from speaking. <laughs> like, right. anyway. Right. But but if if I was running, let's say I had a, I don't know, some organization and I wanted a celebrity to come speak at it, um, I might say, keep your politics to yourself. That's not what this, I want you to come speak on this topic and shut up about politics. And if you can't do right. that, then I'm not inviting you. Well, yeah, that's like your private event. You, this is like the NFL team saying, you know, we don't want you taking a knee or if any of them say that, but because they're your employer, they have a right to say that. Just like my employer has a right to want me to dress a certain way and to present myself in a certain way and to not say certain, you know, like that's your employer's right. Um, I, I get that. Uh, uh, and then you have a choice of whether you're going to comply with that or not, you know, knowing what the consequences might be. So, um, right. And, and that's why we have to push back not only on, I think we, we not only have to push back on the censorship that we think is inappropriate, but the, I, the ideas themselves, because, Ultimately, in a kind of free market, in a in a in an environment where people are voluntarily interacting with another with one another, social pressure is a fine tool to use to get people to behave certain ways or to stop behaving in destructive ways. So you don't actually want to say all social pressure is bad. Social pressure is actually quite good, and you want to use it. However, it can um, be. Good. It only works so much as like it only works in a society where the the morals and the philosophy of that society embrace are, are good like the social pressure pushes us in the right direction right now especially with social justice the social pressure that they're putting on uh all of us is in the wrong direction it's not it's not social pressure to be better it's social pressure to be worse and more authoritarian yeah i agree they're not putting social pressure right currently there's no pressure to like clean up your room there's no pressure to do what Jordan Peterson says and like get your crap together. It's like right. It's pressure only to pressure. Like, yeah, pressure yeah. to pick up a pitchfork and come after other people and you know try and tell other people what to do. Join the mob, you know. Yeah, and that's that's why I think like I, I'm not like I said I'm not against social pressure. Social pressures is a valuable, actually very important and useful tool. And if you don't have it, you resort to laws. The problem is it's just a tool. Social pressure can be applied to like pressure you into doing horrible things and being a horrible person, or it can be applied positively to pressure you into being a better person, like to pressure you into not lying and help you feel guilty if you've lied or cheated someone and like, you know, 
uh, pressure you into feeling guilty about it. Like that's positive social pressure. Um, so I'm not against the idea of social pressure per se. It's it's the social justice ideology is authoritarian, anti-life, evil, destructive ideology, and and they're in charge of the mainstream social pressure engines right now. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, they are in charge of the social pressure engines. Yeah, because right now they have the they have the uh, corner on. I mean, they control academia, entertainment, the media. Uh, big tech, big tech companies, social media. It's all this ideology. It's just, it's infiltrated all of it. But little, anyway, to get back to why we started with Ricky Gervais, I really wanted to start with this topic because it's a little glimmer of hope. It's like, you know, he's a comedian who doesn't care. He still has his balls. He's still like, well, I'm just going to make jokes that are really funny. And I'm going to roast this celebrity audience who takes itself way too seriously for the benefit of the viewing public. See, the viewing public, again, I don't know if any of you guys know this because I don't know why you would because I don't why I don't I don't like to watch award shows. However, I have some friends who do and because of them through them I know that the viewership for these shows has really dropped off in the past few years. And it's because the audience doesn't want to be lectured to and they're sick of this wokeness and it's not they don't they get hosts who are so PC it's not funny. What Ricky Gervais does is he makes it funny for the public again. He's making fun of the elite for the benefit of the audience. Now, if you look, SJW comedians, I know that's people will say that. It's not a real thing. Yes. (laughs) That doesn't exist, Carrie. (laughs) Right. SJW comedians like to say, they do this whole thing that we've talked about before where they say, you know, you're supposed to punch, the comedy is punching up, not down, right? Well, let's just, I don't necessarily even agree with them, but let's say you do. One of the things I was talking about with Mark Hughes, this comedian um, who we had on the show before, and then he recently interviewed me for his podcast. We were talking about the fact that they don't eat. Let's say you agree with them. They don't, they, they get the directions wrong. They don't even know what's up and down right now. What Ricky Gervais did on that show was punching up. He's making fun of the elite Hollywood celebrities for the benefit of the audience, that's what a court jester would do. The court jester would make fun of the king to the and for the peasant to get the peasants to laugh. The court jester was one of the only people that could make fun of the king. Do you know what I mean? So it's like that's right. if, even if you, I, I love pointing that out to them, that like um, because they they push that idea, right? That it's like, oh, you got to punch up. It's like that's what he's doing. He is punching up. They really hate SJWs. Hated the Dave Chappelle special because it's unwoke, right? Dave Chappelle was punching up. He's punching up at their ideology and the stuff you're not allowed to criticize anymore. And that's why they hated it. And they don't realize it's like, they are up. <laughs> like, you guys aren't down here. We're the oppressed. No, you're not. You control all of culture right now, right? Like, you have the, all the TV shows. You have all the whatever. You're out there telling the little people what they can and, can th- that can and can't think or find funny or laugh at, or you're telling it, you're lecturing us on morality and what we should and shouldn't watch or read or go listen to or think. You are the people who are up here. So quit perceiving yourself as some, but this brings us into Michael Moore. Michael Moore, and we can get into this heavier subject, but before we get into it, I'll just say this about Michael Moore. When he started out, I was trying to think about like, what changed with him? Did something change with him or did I just change? And I think it's a little of both. But I really do think he changed because when he started with Roger and me and stuff, he was like working class guy. He identified as like one of the little people. 
he doesn't realize when he talks now he's a buffoon he's become a buffoon because he's no longer one of the little people you're one of the elite you have 10 homes dude okay and you're you're, <laughs> you're talking from this elite protected echo chamber you don't live in reality you're surrounded by yes men i'm sure fame all the bubble that that builds around you and you're the up you're punching up michael anybody that makes fun of you is punching up you're not down here with us so uh, anyway that's a, maybe that's a good bridge into talking about the iran stuff but yeah no no i mean one, one more thing i want to say about gervais is um he was playing like you said he's playing to the home audience and I think he nailed it, and he's and he he set it up from the very beginning, even without politics, by basically saying this award show should just me be saying Netflix, you did a great job, and be like go away, no one watches broadcast television anymore. Like he was basically saying this is irrelevant. And even when he introduced the first first award, he was like, ah, there's going to be like uh, a couple of actresses uh, coming out to introduce. Like he just he he really undercut the. Um, Hollywood takes itself very seriously and they think everything that they're doing is important and that they're very important and he really eviscerated that vibe so yeah. apart from the politics yeah it's like it's not important and I mean think about it guys what other fields do you, do you get to do we see award shows for doctors who save lives this year do we see award shows for scientists who cure diseases or do we see award shows for, I mean, just any, any, uh, any other field, the other people who make your, who lay your, uh, lay the concrete and make the roads, <laughs> you know, like what, what about any other industry? I mean, I just don't, it's funny to me that, that people tune in to watch these, I mean, unless you're doing it just for the hilarity of it, like kind of like the, watching the democratic debate or any like the political debates, it's all a circus. I can see watching it because you want to see how ridiculous it is. But there are people who actually care. What was the, what's that um, in Hunger Games? Is it Capital City? Is that the name of that city in Hunger Games? I think it's Capital City, yeah. I've read those books, but it's been a while. Um, it, yeah, Capital City. I just city. watched the movies. It, it reminded me of that. Like the award show reminded me of... Uh, that because I felt like I feel like they think that they're kind of the center of everything. Yes, um, and and like in reality, they're not really doing anything to contribute to society. They're making crappy movies. Um, and uh, yeah. I, anyway, I mean, he said he said you don't live in reality. Right. Right. To the they don't they don't. Um, you want to talk about? Uh, well, but I I should I should say something. Andrew Thompson says he never liked Michael Moore or something to that effect. Sorry, I'm I'm uh, paraphrasing what you said. Uh, yeah, I, I unlike Carrie, my opinion of Michael Moore has not changed in a long, long time. He's always been the enemy, as far as I'm concerned. But well, so I I I get that people have that opinion, and uh, you know, it's for for someone on the left like myself. Sometimes you're trying to entangle if a person or a, a political party or a, a organization or like the ACLU or who, what you're trying to determine how much they change versus you change because both things are happening at the same time if you're moving away from your old belief system. Right. So there's a bit of that. But I definitely do think he ch I, I think it's unfair to say he's always been this vacuous. Well, he's always ridiculous. been a commie. 
Um, I don't know about that, but I mean, he's always been Marxist. I mean, he like Roger and me is all about like big companies are horrible and they always screw over the working class. He's always like Mr. Proletariat Marxist worker person. Um, like that's that's been all of his stuff. Like everything he does is all about that. He's very well, anti-capitalist. He's always been anti-capitalist. Okay, I have to show you guys something. I found this because I knew we were going to talk about this. Ah, can you oh see it? Oh my god! This is a picture of me and Michael. Me and Michael Moore. Does it show up? It, uh, unfortunately, it does. Ah, there we go. <laughs> it's it's from my old life. That was at uh, the Move On Awards. I was there with a client. And uh, I was a huge fan, and my friend was like, hey, take a picture. Um, but, yeah, I look, you have to give room. I think you have to allow room for people to – sometimes I'm also aware that we have an audience of people who are make up the, a wide range in the political spectrum. So there are people who ha are, like, liberal, like me, who are not leftists. And there are people who are still probably a little more in that leftist camp who are starting to watch our show. And so sometimes it's like – like just to say he's always been a commie it's just to me i just like I, that's just too it sounds so you know it's easier to be like to point out the things that people can see and i think something that people can see even if you're still a leftist is that he's changed you can still see that right? i could see i i could see that maybe he's changed although um I don't know. I know there are people who disagree with me. This is, this is great that there's both of us on the show, though, Carrie. I know there's people in in that watch that are like, what are you guys saying? Michael Moore has always been horrible. And I'm with you. I get it. He has always been horrible. Maybe not all the audience agrees with that. But uh, yeah, he's always been horrible. He's a different brand of horrible. But I don't think he's much different than like, I think he's he's a he's what's happened to the left generally. They've become more authoritarian. But he was always, yes. he was always a socialist. He, he is uh, symbolic of what's happened with the left in general. Look, there's another person I adored. I have a photo with him as well. Howard Dean. I loved Howard Dean. Howard Dean has gone SJW cuckoo bananas. Like, he's just flipped his lid. Like, I don't – he's different. And you may say, well, he's always been XYZ, whatever those things are. Yes, but I may not be able to see that yet. But what I can see is that he's, he's changed in these ways. So I would say about Michael Moore – in a stark difference between Roger and me days and now is that he just seems like he's living even less in reality than he was back then, like less in reality. He doesn't understand what the common man, what that common man's life is like. And he doesn't have any, he has an overinflated sense of his own importance that I don't think he necessarily had back then. His ego has grown. So to DM, to DM, oh, let's, let's put up the tweet. What he did, he DM'd the Ayatollah it was yeah. going to prevent war. <laughs> All right, I'll find the I'll find the tweet, but um okay. just to I think actually Carrie, we could have an interesting discussion about this another time. We probably have to okay. think about it okay. offline, but um the question I would I think I'm just going to throw a theory out. I think because the Marxist ideology is not ground in actual principles that are um that a, adhere to reality and B, um, are non-contradictory, like because they're not actual moral principles, because it's based on um, something that is inherently flawed, uh, the 
when a more virulent form of it becomes popular, people who identify uh, on the left just move with it. That's what happened. Like the Democrats didn't have any principles to cling to that would make them not authoritarians for the most part. Some of them, some of them viewed themselves as very principled uh, individualists in like free speech or whatever. And those are the people who are looking at what's happening to the Democratic Party and um, and saying, well, this isn't for me anymore. But a lot of people just had this weird sense of like, yeah, corporations are bad and capitalism's bad and and the little guy is, is you know, it's all about the little guy and they're always oppressed. And, uh, you know, uh, this idea of social justice, even if the words weren't, um, you know, being used a lot, but the idea of pe treating people as members of classes and groups was, was fine with them. And so when the more... Uh, pernicious form of social justice, this woke ideology comes along, those people just get dragged right along with it because they're not operating on principles. They're they're basically operating as uh, kind of social metaphysicians. They have some feelings about things. They look around and see what other people think about them, and they, they kind of all just, you know, the whole crowd goes that way. And to be fair, I think on the right, there's a lot of people uh, who have a similar approach to their their political ideology and someone could a pied piper could come along and pull them in a direction as well um but that's that's kind of how i think it's related to who michael moore was does that make sense i think you're muted is she muted everyone i'm oh, sorry i muted myself um <laughs> yeah I, I think that makes sense um but yeah, we should we should do a conversation about this later. I think it's really interesting, just just in general. But how do you how do you judge um, how do you judge what has changed about a situation when you're also changing? And like your vantage point, it's like if you're in a stream and you're moving downstream, and you're also trying to see how much like this dog is. I don't know how much the dog is moving on the on the coastline. You're it, you're moving, so it's sometimes hard to tell. Like, it's has this person changed this much, or is it that my perspective has also changed to such a degree that I can see this now? Okay, I can see your screen. Yeah. You okay. Sharing? So here's the tweet you wanted to talk about, right? Um, Let's see. I think this is Michael oh, yeah. Moore. He <laughs> yeah. said, "You want to read it, Carrie? Or you want me to? You read it." I, by the way, now that we have this different tech, I don't have to read it just to keep the camera focused here. So you can read it if you want. But um, he writes, I have just sent the Ayatollah of Iran. This is Michael Moore, by the way. <laughs> Be clear. I have just sent the Ayatollah of Iran a personal appeal asking him not to respond to our assassination of his top general with violence of any kind, but rather let me and millions of Americans fix this peacefully. So... Michael Moore wait, is here to wait. save us, Carrie. What are your wait, thoughts but on go that? To, go to his Instagram because the Instagram's better. Because the Instagram has a picture, and I think it's the wrong Ayatollah. That's what the that's what the Imam of Peace said. It was the wrong guy. <laughs> Did he put a picture of the wrong guy up? I don't know if that's true. And he also in in the Instagram one, it was funny because uh, at the at the bottom, you know, you have more room to write text in the Instagram than you do on Twitter. So he was talking about it, and then he's like, um, he plugs his podcast at the end, which is just, I don't know why that makes me laugh so hard, because he's writing about, like, uh, you know, stopping, as if only he can stop war. Oh, here it is. Here's what he says on is this, Instagram. Is this the one you're talking about? Can't see anything yet. Oh, you can't? All right. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> 
Never mind. Well, on Instagram, see this guy? See that guy? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Okay, so he posted the picture, and then he and then he says, yeah, I've just sent the Ayatollah of Iran a personal appeal asking what you just read, right? Blah, 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 blah. And then he goes, I recorded and DM'd him a message in my podcast, Rumble. You can hear it on any podcast platform like Apple or Spotify for free. <laughs> and then he says, we need to prevent war, any war, now. When the Ayatollah responds, I'll post his reply. But there's something funny to me about, like, he's, like, advertising in between talking about ending war. <laughs> like, yeah. Just, which you can also get at any local... <laughs> I don't know. And, then, and so then uh, one of the best replies I saw was uh, Majid Nawaz said, Translation... I am so narcissistic in my hatred for Trump that I am unable to distinguish it from my appeal to the world's worst theocrat oppressing millions of Muslims and the absurdity of thinking he'll set Iranian foreign policy via Twitter DM with me. Oh, and blessed be the fruit. <laughs> and then, um, and then somebody posted, uh, and I, I will confess I'm ignorant of this myself. So, um, if this is true, I may have made the same mistake as, as Michael Moore, but I also didn't publicly write an open letter to the wrong person. So uh, the Imam of Peace says, uh, you address your message to Ayatollah Khomeini of Iran. That guy died on the 3rd of June, 1989. <laughs> that picture. <laughs> your whole tweet and message is a mess from start to finish. The current Ayatollah is Khomeini, and he has a fatwa against music which you play for him at the start of your podcast. <laughs> so great job, Michael Moore. <laughs> uh, a fatwa against music. Who has a fatwa against music? Uh, very, very crazy people. Very crazy people have fatwas against music. Yeah, so that's that. So that was Khomeini, apparently, that he yeah, put up. So he put I don't up know my Ayatollahs. Instead of Khamenei or whatever. Oh. Yeah, Imam Atahidi, Imam of Peace. That's the guy who burned him. But um, it is really like, it is really indicative, Carrie, of like how much the people like Michael Moore, like how self important they are. They're just, I mean, he's some, like, let's be honest, he's some like documentarian slob from Hollywood who hasn't made a good movie in a long time or even a successful movie in a while. Like yeah. he, what, what does he have to do? Like, does this guy even know who he is? Yeah. I don't think so. Can I, can I share, this is completely just anecdotal, my own experience. And I, I know nothing, but that picture when I met him, um, I got, I got the feeling that he was not comfortable in his own skin, which I've been that way at points in my life as well. I wouldn't say I'm that way now, but um, I have been. Where you feel like a phony or a fraud, he came off that way to me. And it was very brief, but I took photos just of Just in your people. brief interaction with him? Just he in came our off brief interaction. He was like, it felt like he was like nervous to take a photo with me. And like, he just, it just, he was... It was weird. It, I got this weird sense from him that I didn't get from... I also... The Move On Awards, there were a bunch of people there who I kind of admired at the time. This was in 2000, and, you know, I was super woke, and um, I took photos with... Oh, that's when I took my hashtag why not me photo with Al Franken. 
but um, but no, none, I didn't get a weird sense from any of them except him. It's just anyway, that's just an anecdotal thing. But sometimes, you know, people are um, when you're when you're not when you don't feel authentic and you're just doing what you think you should do or working the career you think you should work or being the public figure you think you should be. Like in his case, I think he probably feels like it's my job and responsibility. Like you said, he has this inflated sense of self-importance. He probably thinks it's his role to do stuff like this, but he also probably on some deep level, I would, if I were to just make an armchair analysis, knowing nothing about this man personally, I think he probably on some level knows it's not his job and he feels like a fraud. I don't think he feels, Maybe. yeah, who knows, but I mean, anyway. I tend to think that about people a lot, so I don't know, but I also don't want to armchair psychologize people, but yes. I like to sometimes just probably I shouldn't do it on the podcast. <laughs> it's fun. Uh, okay. It's fun, but yeah, so that happened. Do you, Carrie, do you even know, I was like, I came back from this uh, Luddite break and I was I was not even sure what the hell was going on. I literally didn't pay attention to anything. So I was like, why is Michael Moore talking? What's going on with Iran? Do you know anything that's even, do you even know what's happening out there? I know a little bit. And I know that you and I were reading beforehand. I think we should do some broad strokes for people who are not caught up in case anybody else unplugged as well. Um, so let's do some, I'll let you do it. <laughs> gee, gee, thanks. Gee, thanks, Carrie. <laughs> I, I will speak from ignorance rather than Carrie. Um, so my understanding is is uh, <clears throat> there is so Iran, I think funds and actually provides other support to militias in Iraq, um, with the goal of basically getting the U.S. out of the Middle East. Um, and my understanding is that there was an attack uh, on uh, some U.S. personnel. One contractor was killed. Uh, from you know these these militias attacked U.S. personnel. I think I'm not sure where the attack was. It was probably Iraq, but I'm not sure. Um, and the U.S. retaliated by uh, air raids against some sites in Syria and Iraq against these militia people. That then caused so this all this ties together to like what what's going on with the embassy because I saw this news report about like the embassy in Baghdad. I'm like so that then caused I guess a lot of people in Iraq to um storm or attack the embassy the u.s embassy in iraq uh, because they were mad about the the attacks you know the u.s retaliation um and so then trump i guess decided to so there's a there's a there was a general at least if i can get his name kasim Soleimani. i'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it but there was a general um from iran who was kind of in charge, seemed to be orchestrating a lot of this, helping these militias. Um, and he, according to the U.S., he was planning more attacks against the U.S. And so Trump ordered a drone strike against him. He was killed. Um, but because he was so high up in the uh, Iranian government, because he was a, a general, uh, Iran's president got very angry about this. And... He said, quote, um, the Americans did not realize what a grave mistake they have made. They will suffer the consequences of such criminal measure, not only today, but also throughout the years to come. So he's basically, and, and he's saying we will have, there will be revenge. Everyone will take revenge. We will avenge his blood. So um, 
and and then Michael Moore swept in to save us all from what might happen. That's my understanding. Is that a good high level? Is that good enough from the high level, Carrie? I think that's a great what happened for dummies segment, which is often what I need just to get caught up. And, you know, somebody was asking me what my Mikey, Carlo, our friend Mike, was asking me online. Well, he was like, what are you, your opinions on this? And because I haven't read enough to know. I don't know enough. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't feel like I know enough to have strong opinions about any of it. Uh, but my, my initial reactions are that... Um, the blue cathedral, you know, the, the woke celebrities, the, the media, they're so predictable that, that you've got them like Michael Moore and like Rose McGowan tweeting apologies to the leaders of Iran. You, you, they're so predictable that, that you can get them to defend, um, the Ayatollah, <laughs> like you can get them to whatever Trump does, they're going to oppose it. That's kind of crazy. It's, it's, it is, it is lunacy. Cause you know, obviously he's, even if they think he's a broken clock, a broken clock's right twice a day or whatever, you know? So it's like, they don't have any opening for that. That those are people who are led by ide ideology. Those are puppets. And when you're a puppet, what you're, yes, you're being puppeted by your own ideology. You're being puppeted by, the SJW media by, you know, legacy media, but you're also being puppeted by what you oppose because you're naturally what you oppose. Trump is one of your puppeteers because everything he does, you're going to go the other way. They don't realize that. It's like, you're letting him play you like a violin. Um, and, and he does, he plays them and all he the does. time. He does. He plays yeah. them all the time. So my initial reaction was just, uh, it sounds like a pretty bad dude got taken out. And that then there was a bunch of hypocrisy from the usual suspects on the left in the media who were completely silent while we dropped bombs on wedding parties under Obama, you know, we yeah, dropped. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely a level of, regardless of what you think about us being in the Middle East, there's definitely a level of hypocrisy here, right? Obama had his droning Tuesdays and dropped, dropped, <laughs> did drone strikes regularly. Now, this is a pretty high up leader in a foreign government, but... Um, you know, I, I don't, um, I don't want us to be in the Middle East either. And the Middle East is a mess. And, uh, Elvacaro555 said something in chat, which not everyone's in chat, so I'll, I'll say. He says, do an image search on, uh, consanguineous marriage for, for a global map. It'll explain a lot. Now, I haven't done that search, but I know what he's going with this. And this is important to understand. You know, the Middle East is a mess, um, we don't really belong in the Middle East. The idea that we could actually turn the Middle East into some, you know, functioning first world republic with, you know, similar uh, society to us, you know, is is ludicrous. And one of the main problems with it is, and I'll I'll say it even though uh, I know this is wrong thinking. I'll we'll be called I'll be called a uh, I don't know white supremacist Nazi whatever person for it. Um, there's a big IQ problem in the Middle East. Um, because there's so many cousin marriages in a lot of those cultures, um, you end up with a, a lot more um, birth defects, but you also, one of those, one of the things that happens when you have a population that uh, procreates with relatives uh, often is you end up with lower IQ populations. And I don't know what the population, I guess I should look up what the IQ in Iran and Iraq is. What is the IQ in Iraq? Let's just look it up. The average IQ in Iraq is, 
Uh, hold on. I should have. I shouldn't do. You this. might be speaking out of turn. You might not know what you're talking about. I might. I might not. Hold on. I'm trying to. What's the average intelligence of Iraq? Because I eighty seven. Eighty seven. In fact, here's a map. Here's. I'll. I'll see if I can put up a map for people. Um. So this is a big deal, right? I had no idea that that was like that. People were marrying their cousins so often. Right? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, they're actually, you know, they're not the worst places in the world. But, you know, 87, the U.S. average is about 100. 87, it's about, it's almost an entire standard deviation less than the U.S. Um, I think there's been, I don't remember who talked about this, but I think, uh, oh, man, it might have been, I don't want to, I don't want to attribute it. I was going to attribute it to an economist who's relatively famous, but I don't want to get him in trouble because I don't know that that's who it was. I, I think, I think there's been some research to suggest that to ma like maintain a democracy, a functioning democracy, you need an average of in like the mid nineties somewhere. So, um, that's really tough. It's really tough. And it doesn't mean, you know, this isn't a dig on the people in the Middle East. It's just like, this is, you know, it's very difficult to manage a population with an average IQ of 87. Like that's average, right? That's that's average. That's not high. That's the average. That means half the people are below 87. Um, so why do people do? Why? Okay, so like, and, and this you're gonna. I'm gonna reveal some of my ignorance here. But uh, I have a, a loose. I'm aware of the fact that um, that the, the the royal family going back, you know. Gener generations like there used to be a, there's a lot of inbreeding in like the british elite right i use the word inbreeding but like marrying your cousin and stuff right what what's the rationale behind that in different societies i don't i don't get marrying why do people marry in their family is it to keep because you believe your blood is royal and you want to keep your blood royal or what's the idea behind yeah it? well i mean in europe it was uh it was the idea of of consolidating power in families is my understanding right so you wanted to keep the power, the royal, you know, among royals, it was to keep power. Um, I don't know what the, I don't know, I'm not familiar enough with Middle Eastern cultures to know why they do it. But, uh, you know, Dr. Carlin says, uh, Bersenko says forming alliances in chat. Um, I'm sure that's one of them. A lot of, a lot of marriages are political or have been historically. So, um, yeah. So anyway, um, oh, I know. I will say this about rednecks because I come from a family of rednecks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Just now some... people are, people are asking some questions about IQ. Someone says, wait, 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 before you get to your question. Oh, I'll sorry. I said, oh, I, I didn't know say, you were not, not done. Yeah, sorry. About it in my culture, it happens. This is probably a joke, but I think, I think the joke is that it happens sometimes because you, there aren't a lot of people around when you're in a remote rural area. <laughs> And it's like, are you going to marry your second cousin or oh. your third cousin? <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Um, okay, go ahead. That I didn't could mean be. That could be. That could be. Um, someone someone pointed out, they said, the map makes no sense. Nigerian immigrants are successful, so that map records education way more than intelligence. Um, no, uh, the I, I do think that is true. Nigerian immigrants are super successful, but what you tend you can't measure immigrant populations because um, immigrant populations are self-selecting. You tend to get the most successful, smartest, and/or wealthiest people, depending on what the driving factors for uh, being able to to immigrate to the U.S. are, and it varies, I'm sure, per 
country, you, you're, they're not representative samples of the population. No, no matter what they are, they're not representative samples. So you can't use immigrants generally. Um, one, and someone else asked, how do you measure IQ? Um, obviously, there's like big, long IQ tests, but um, IQ uh, is, there's different facets of IQ, and one way to measure it is um, you can measure it in a kind of non-cultural or non-language kind of way. You can use something called the Raven's Matrix test, which is a good, uh, it's correlated highly to IQ. It's a good, like, proxy for IQ. It just uses symbols, so you can get around any, like, any of the traditional arguments about, like, oh, well, they just don't know what the word regatta means because they're not some snob from, uh, you know, uh, Cape Cod, right? So... Um, you can measure that. And IQ is actually also correlated, uh, I believe it's correlated to reaction time. So um, reaction time actually, is, the fact that IQ is cor correlated to reaction time makes it very difficult to dismiss as a concept. So I think that's how they measure it. I'm not an expert at how um, IQ is measured, although I have, uh, I've actually been involved in testing people uh, before, but I relied on experts. Actually, to be honest, I relied on Jordan Peterson uh, before he was famous, uh, he worked with uh, with a company um, that I was with, and we worked on using IQ as uh, a predictor for entrepreneurial success. So, um, but my, you know, that's my understanding of it. So and that's the end uh, of the IQ question. Well, I have something from the chat also. Uh, well, one quick hello because um, a friend said to let us know that Chris Ackers is listening from the UK. He just can't get on chat. Hi, Chris. Thank you for listening. Hey, Chris. Uh, Chris is often in chat. I don't know if he's in chat a lot. You might be thinking of a different one. But anyway. Um, oh, maybe I then, see him on Twitter. I see him somewhere a lot. Yeah, he's I don't on know Twitter where. a lot. Maybe it's Twitter. So then somebody says, uh, somebody pointed out, and I'm, I'm sorry, there's a lot of comments here. I'm looking for the right one, but who it was. But somebody pointed out that there's like self-selection happening where maybe you have people who are um, higher IQ who are selecting out of a population and immigrating to other places. Um, and then, but Timmy says, it's not necessarily true that the best ones leave. There isn't an immigration selection process in Nigeria that prioritizes more educated people over non-educated people. Interesting. Wait, what are they saying? Say that again. Well, somebody, somebody was saying that it might be self-selection. So the best. I, I was saying that. Right. But, and somebody in chat said that also. But then Temi said in Nigeria, there's there's no selection process that would prioritize more educated people over non-educated people. That's Although not I, true. Really? Well, what about, but maybe it's the country receiving people. Maybe it's not right. so much about the country that you're leaving, but the country that's receiving. That's my point. It's, it's about, yeah. And uh, I don't know if my, uh, Why I have a friend. Why are you laughing who, at me? What? Why are you laughing at me? No, no, no. I'm like, I, I have a friend who, um. She wasn't from Nigeria. She was from another African country near Nigeria. But um, uh, when there's often, even if there's just kind of chaos in a country, um, you know, uh, the resources just to get out and move are something that, like, they're not universally distributed. And they're often correlated to, like, how you've been able to work the system or get resources or whatever. So it's not that the country has any sort of program only letting smart people leave. That would be dumb. In fact, uh if a country was going to have a program restricting emigration, it would be, you know, don't let smart people leave because you want them to stick around. Um, but it's the incoming country. It's the U.S. Right. It's, you know, 
you have to get be able to get an H-1B to, to live in the U.S. legally. And to do that, you've got to, I mean, I know the standards aren't as high as some people would like, but to do that, you've got to have some special skill. Often it's tech companies and like, this isn't, you know, you're not going to get a farmer from Nigeria with no, edu- like with like literally, you know, 87 IQ, they're not going to come in to the U.S. and, the country and you're going that to. doesn't happen. Yeah, huh? so a great example, it's the country you're going to. Here's a great example. When I was at Science and Math School in South Carolina, they really wanted us to stay in the state. Like if it were up to them, <laughs> we wouldn't have left. They had they would send the lieutenant governor to come and do speeches at our high school about like the importance of staying in South Carolina. And uh, so it's yeah, that's a that's a great point. Uh, one other quick thing in the comments, somebody said about somebody said that many royal oh Laura said that royal families especially the British felt that they were ordained by God. And so only Royals could produce the ordained of God. And that's why they had, of course they did. I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) So not only about, maybe it was like they wanted power and the priest was like, "Ah, I'll justify it somehow. Uh, Your, your family's ordained by God. So there you go. Um, No one else can rule. Uh, But well, so you did a recap of what happened in Iran and now, or with the, and the guy who was taken out. And so now here's something I keep hearing uh, online, which kind of seemed to me to be a bit hyperbolic and sort of hysterical. People are talking about World War III happening, the possibility of a World War III happening. That just seems ridiculous to me. Am I, am I so far out of the loop that I don't realize how close we are to something like that? Or it just... Uh, I, don't think, I don't think you are. I mean, wait, did they say this in relation to the the crap in Iran and Iraq right now? Yeah, yeah, that's the people are talking about. I mean, I think that's kind of like this weird, um, like, hyperbolic concern over Trump with his finger on the button. Right? It's like, oh, he he did something that caused some problems in the Middle East. He's just about to go to nuclear war. I, I imagine. I don't know. Um, I imagine it's just it's just more uh, Trump derangement syndrome. I think. I don't know. Um, okay. Okay. So, uh, we could do a whole other episode, by the way, on IQ stuff. People are now saying, like, they're they're talking more about it in chat. Um, I'm well, not an expert do, on IQ, we but we we could one. do a whole one. It's a touchy subject, though, Carrie, because there's some stuff about when you start looking into IQ, okay. like there's, uh, I saw I read the bell curve. Uh, Nassim Taleb has a counter argument to the bell curve. There's a counter argument to his counter argument. But there's a lot of controversy mixed up in IQ, and and people tend to think of IQ as like some sort of relative worth thing, which I think is why there gets people don't view it as like height, where it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, being short isn't less. They moral place value or less on good being higher being IQ. Say like that they, again. They, they they place a positive value on being higher IQ, as if it's. Uh, I, I I know what you're saying. Like, if you're right. taller, you have advantages, and if you have a higher IQ, you have advantages. But when you point out that someone is short, it's not, uh, it doesn't come with the same negative connotation that pointing out someone has lower IQ comes with. Right. And, and you know, Omara67 says in chat says, it's touchy because no one wants to be stupid. Yeah, right. And no one wants to call anyone else stupid. That's the, that's the big concern. Um, but, uh, you know, the fact is, there are mental differences between people and they're vast i mean you know average iq of 87 versus like there are people with iqs of 187 right who probably think it's very difficult to even have a conversation with regular people 
Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. Well, one day, not today. Um, <laughs> not today, not today. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> don't want to go down the rabbit hole today. No, I'm tired. It's, what else it's, happened over the break, Carrie? What, what else should we talk about? What happened over the break that we did not talk about yet? There was a shooting near you, which I don't have a lot to say about, but uh, it makes a point for us. No? I, well, I don't know if it was near you. Did everyone did everyone uh, see this? Uh... It was in a town called White Settlement, which. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Was, uh, look, just the name of the town cracked me up. Um, White Settlement, but it's um... the worst name for a town ever. <laughs> anyway, it's it's funny. Um, but yeah, the uh, I didn't read a lot about it other than it's. I saw that it was one of these situations where you have a, like just to put it in simplistic terms, a bad guy with a gun who is taken out by a good guy with a gun. Therefore, the media is probably going to stop talking about it because they don't like that particular gun story. So, Yeah, he walked into a church with a shotgun and <sighs> I guess started shooting people. He shot two people and within six seconds, um, he was dead because someone else returned fire. Um, so... Uh, and there's a cool video actually going around if you want to see it um, of, I don't know if cool is the right word, but there's a video going around where you see like old ladies and people you wouldn't expect like start to get up in church and pull out a weapon to attack this guy. Um, so I guess I guess you don't go attacking churches in a town called the White Settlement. I'm not sure what's... But you're right, the media won't talk about it um, because a gun was used to stop a crime. Can't have that on the news. So. Yeah, there's not. I mean, I don't have much to say about stories like that, other than they won't get coverage. So, it's yeah, not and they should. That's all. It. I mean, I think we just mention yeah. it and be done. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that I also saw a couple of extreme leftist SJWs actually posting. They were. This isn't satire. They were actually posting things about how the guy who um, took the shooter out should be brought up on charges because he shouldn't have killed him because he could have wounded him and it was like what are you talking about you don't you don't you don't you don't know that you don't know that you clearly don't shoot how how you have no idea in the heat of the moment this guy's trying to stop an active shooter and you're nitpicking about where he shot him and that it resulted in a homicide or not a homicide but a death it resulted you know it resulted in the guy dying and oh couldn't he have wounded him that's that's just crazy talk to me yeah, I mean, I think that talk comes only from... I hear that kind of stuff basically from completely ignorant people who've never touched a firearm before, right? I mean, if you fired, if you fired a gun before, the whole, like, shoot him in the leg thing during an active shooting situation just is laughable. But um, there's a lot of... There are a lot of people who've never, never picked up a firearm and will get very self-righteous about, like, well, you should, I would have just shot him in the leg. You should just, you know, how dare you? They'll be very judgmental. Right? Yeah, I'd like to see you, person who's never used a gun before, go to the, I'd like to see you, uh, your shot. Let me see your target spending a day at the range, how accurate you are, how yeah. precise you are. Yeah, you know, actually, um, you know what I did when I used to, I used to teach people pistol too, right? I think. You were an NRA instructor? I was a handgun instructor, yeah. Yeah, yeah, me too. So, uh, I used to go, you can only do this at the indoor ranges, but um, I would have people put the, they won't let you draw from the holster at most ranges in California anyway, maybe elsewhere, but uh, I'd have them put the loaded firearm down on the, you know, on the 
table in front and I would, I would zoom the target way out and I would start, I would say go and I would start zooming it, like have it come towards them as I was saying go, just to be like, this is about how fast someone could run at you with a knife, right? Um, and it's, uh, it was surprising how hard it was for people to hit a relatively big, easy target <laughs> until it was basically right on top of them. Um, oh, yeah. Just because it was moving towards them and it was it all happened very fast. And like, if I had added in, like, now hit his leg, I, yeah, <laughs> just no one would have ever hit anything. Yeah. And I, I got the impression because we did a, the school that I, I worked with um, for training, we, we would get classes of uh, security guards. Uh, occasionally we got cops and military and uh, just the impression I got from those, those people who took our classes, they don't get a lot of, and these are professionals. They don't get a lot of range time as much as you would expect. They would get as much as me, a civilian would think they would get. And they, they don't get a lot of moving and shooting practice. So they yeah. would come out to, we had, we got to use an outdoor range um, and that the LAPD would use and, to do moving and shooting scenarios because a lot of people, if, if all of your practice and especially if you're someone like that, I get, you know, if all of your practice is stationary and like you're saying, and then you're in the heat of the moment and things are moving and you're moving and it's just very different, I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah, to criticize someone when I've never been in that situation, thank God. And the person criticizing has never been in that situation. Thank God. And then to say, I would have shot him in the leg and not killed him. You don't know what you would have done moron <laughs> right. right and uh, and you know the fact that this guy this guy's first shot killed him so wow great yeah. great job his first shot was i don't know if it was in the cns or what but his first shot killed the guy so i mean i you can't do any better than that um elva caro mentions that like any excitement makes you a worse shot. Yeah, like that's why they teach very gross motor, motor movement when you learn to shoot because you lose fine motor coordination because you've got adrenaline rushing through your body. Like a lot of stuff goes to, you know, a lot of stuff falls to falls to shit when you're when you're in a stressful situation. So anyway, Carrie, um, do you want to talk about the one last thing or do you want to be done and we can save the other one for another day? You tell me. I don't know what your schedule is. One last thing. Your New York thing. Oh, oh, I want to do some more research on this, but I can mention it. Uh, one of my friends in New York keeps posting about it. And so I did go offline. Uh, I did, I did manage to take a break from being online. Not like you, but I didn't go completely off grid, but I, I didn't spend as much time on there. But when I would check in, I would see her post. And so she was kind of updating everyone on what New York just passed this, this, uh, this, this thing just went into effect with it, that where they're, going to be releasing people without bail now because they and these are even re repeat offenders and violent offenders they're going to be releasing them without making them post bail the idea being that bail uh discriminates against people without means and <laughs> and and so and so there have already been repercussions there have already been people who've been let out and and the judges of course are like you're not giving us any leeway to take into consideration previous offenses, if they're likely to recommit a, a crime while they're out. And it just seems, it just seems like this is again, one of those things where uh, people haven't thought out the consequences. It sounds good and feels good to them, you know? And yeah. If you notice, this is one of those things that like, this is an example, I think of um, the left being authoritarian in that um, they're very against 
local judges making local decisions that affect the local community with the context of what's going on in in mind. They would rather have a top-down rule that everyone has to follow um, because that's it's all about control. They don't want the judge to have some discretion. Um, and actually, in reality, uh, you do want the judge to have discretion. There, there are that's why we have judges and not just like bureaucrats with rule like rule books and be like this this leads to this right you have judges because situations are complex and often nuanced and in the context of a community or whatever and so you do want the judge to use his or her discretion that's what you want but when you're an authoritarian the last thing you want is people making their own decisions you want you want just rule followers and you want to make a rule and have everyone follow it and so that's what they're doing yeah I mean, here's she's she's been really great at just following some of the cases on her timeline. She's like, okay, here's one: accused killer Paul Barbaratano is being set free today. He's accused of stabbing a woman to death in Albany back in July. Barbaratano is facing a manslaughter charge. Court reviewed his case this morning, and he's being set free without bail this afternoon, thanks to New York's controversial new bail reform laws. Update: He's now out of jail. You know. Um, yeah. And it's just case after case. Uh, DeWitt man charged with fourth bank robbery, released without bail. Um, you know, it just it just seems like, I don't, yeah, you're right. They don't want them having any discretion or leeway. They want to say this is discriminatory against people without without means, and therefore let's just you know, <laughs> let's just let everybody out. <laughs> What's yeah, even ensure they come back for their their trial? Do you know that's the other thing? Some of these people right, are I'm flight sh- risk. I'm sure they will. I mean, that's the other thing. They're like, well, people without means can't do this, but that's what bail bondsmen are for. Like, that's that's why they exist. But yeah. um, I was reading an article. I was reading the counterpoint in Slate, Carrie, and um, the the rationale behind this was actually interesting. Apparently, there have been studies, and I, I didn't look into the veracity of this, and it was from Slate, so take it with the giant grain of salt that maybe it deserves. But apparently, there have been studies that um, just the time that they're waiting in jail before their trial actually negatively impacts them in a way that uh, encourages more crime. So, like, they lose their job and access to kids or whatever, and, like, then they're more likely to commit a crime later. So um, they're trying to solve this problem by being like, well, they haven't been convicted, but they're having, but, like, waiting in jail um, for the conviction actually increases the likelihood that they'll engage in criminal activity later, which I think is possible. It's plausible. It's interesting. And it's a problem that needs to be solved. I don't think this is the way to solve it, but that's, I think that's the rationale behind it. Uh, I saw that. Well, I saw Timmy says, wait a minute from what I read, it's only supposed to be about nonviolent offenders. Um, I need to do more reading on it. I saw that also, Temi, but then the the examples I was seeing were violent offenders, so I was also a little bit confused. Um, yeah, like this guy, Paul, that I was mentioning. I mean, here's a, we can post a link to this, but here's an article. It's like a local news station, news10.com. Albany manslaughter suspect released from jail under new bail rules. I mean, that's manslaughter. That's a violent offense. Paul... Uh, Paul his name is B-A-R-B-A-R-I-T-A-N-O. So you guys can look that case up. But yeah, I need to do some more reading, but it looks like they're releasing people for violent offenses. 
Yeah, it, cer- it certainly does look that way. And, and But I also read what Temi read, which was something that was saying that it, it wasn't for the worst crimes. But uh, I don't know. Maybe manslaughter doesn't count as bad enough. Uh, maybe it has to be first-degree murder. Murder charges or something, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, I want to read more about that for sure. And we maybe should talk about that on Coffee and more. Yeah, maybe. All right. Well... Thank you, everyone, for watching. Uh, Happy New Year again. Welcome welcome back. We're glad to be back. I will uh, try not to... Next time we do a live cafe, I will try not to uh, annoy you with the song that I did at the intro. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of funny. You should. We should just have a competition to pick the worst royalty-free songs possible. <laughs> it was intentional. Like I, I intentionally was like, I'll see if, it's, if I can get like a kind of annoying earworm going. Um, yeah, which I think worked, but uh, yeah. So, oh well. Um, right, well, thank we, you we will guys. see you. Yep, we will see you all tomorrow. And um, I don't know. Have a great, uh, have a great day. Have a great year. And uh, it's Happy good to be back. Yeah, yeah, good to take, be back. Take care.